Angelique Marseille was told she had 10 days to live unless she received a liver transplant. When I was dying and I, I knew I was dying, I talked to God and I said, well, if it's my time, it's just my time. That was 28 years ago. Today, Angelique is a mother of two and an organ donation advocate. Welcome to The Journey Continues, a podcast committed to promoting kidney health and organ donation through powerful stories. I'm your host, Monica Fox, kidney transplant recipient and Director of Outreach and Government Relations for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. Today, my guests are my friends, liver transplant recipient Angelique Marseille and her twin sister, Anjanette Espinosa. Hi, Angelique and Anjanette. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Monica. Hey, Monica. Thank you for having us. Well, let's get right into it. Angelique, please tell me about when you first learned that you had liver failure. I first learned that I had liver failure after I was checked into the hospital for um, other complications. I had uh, a rash on my skin and my eyes were yellow. So um, I finally decided to go to the doctor when this rash I had on my legs and my arms had moved to my face. And um, I always like to tell people it was my vanity that sent me to the doctors because I thought I was really cute in my 20s. So I'm at the doctors and um, they're doing blood work and saying that my eyes are yellow. And at that point, they said that I need to be checked in the hospital. And then when I was in the hospital, they came to my room and said that your liver has been functioning at about 5%. And we don't know how you've been walking around like this because you should be really sick and and tired and, and unable to move. Um, so again, I was in the hospital when they told me I'd need a transplant, uh, reading books to try to figure out what was going on and that I would need an organ donor, um, um, somebody that passed away that matched me. It was all these details. And I'm before I know it, I'm crying tears because I don't understand it. Oh, my goodness. That must have been so incredibly devastating to you and to your family. Yes, it was. Um, Actually, it was my twin sister that's uh, with me today that noticed that my eyes were yellow. We were sitting at dinner one night, I think it was around Thanksgiving, and she noticed that my eyes were yellow and said that something may be wrong. Anjanette, tell me about how you felt at this time while your sister was sick and going through this. Like she said, it it didn't dawn on me that she was that sick. Um, Actually, when I was telling her that her eyes were yellow or like, what's the rash on your face? I'm looking at her like, what's wrong? You know, I I didn't, I'm thinking she's just, like I said, just being um, sick and, and, and not getting enough rest. Like you need to go take a nap. But once she got to the point where she went to the hospital and I think they called us. And I'm like, so I need to call her and tell her because I think she was on her way out. Like she was hanging out with her um, boyfriend at the time. And she's like, "Um, you need to call and tell her just she needs to come back. So I had to call her and tell her, like, what are you doing? Like, we need to get you back in the hospital. And she's like, I just left there. And I'm like, "Okay, turn around and we're going to meet you at uh, University of Chicago. And I think right then and there, I'm thinking, my sister's really sick, like something's going on, but still didn't think it was that serious as a whole transplant until, like you said, you get there and you're, you got people 
talking to you. And my mom is really, she was really just out of her head because she couldn't grasp any of it because we had never heard of anything. But um, overall, like being a twin, I'm thinking like, you know, am I sick? <laughs> that was one of my thoughts, like, am I sick or what's going on with me? Do you need to take blood from me? Like, I'm, you know, I'm confused, but I'm, I'm in a zone where I'm out of my head. Like, I'm freaked out. I'm sad. I'm, you know, I'm walking around the hospital. So it's just a lot going on, a lot of emotions. I'm in school as well. So um, a lot of times I'm in class, I can't even, you know, function because I'm thinking about my sister. So I, you know, I would leave or it's just a lot. It was a lot going on, Michael, like a, from one emotion to the next. Being identical twins, you guys are identical twins, right? Yes. And Jeanette, when you looked into your sister's face and it's almost like looking into a mirror and you're looking at her thinking, you don't look right. You know, that, yeah, I was that like, you don't, you don't even look like me anymore. Like something is wrong. And then her fuzziness, like she couldn't remember or, you know, like she would look at me like she would be zoning. And I'm like, something's wrong. Like you need to, you need to go get that checked out. So it, um, it started from that first conversation. I can imagine that was just really a frightening time. And especially because at that time, back in 1992, transplant was still relatively new and um, not widely known about, and particularly in African-American communities. Right. So when the doctors finally came back in, once my family got to the hospital, they wanted to um, talk to everyone and let them know that um, after several tests that they come up with this uh, idiopathic cirrhosis of the liver was the diagnosis and that I would die without a transplant. And so the whole family is in awe, like what, what does that mean? And most people thought it meant that my twin sister, she's sitting right there. Why can't she give me one or uh, some of hers or, you know, people thought it was a kidney at first and it wasn't so. It wasn't that simple. So at that time, it was possible to be a living kidney donor, but it was not possible to be a living liver donor. No. So although you had a twin sister, you still had to wait for a deceased donation. Exactly. Yes. A deceased donation, which every day it was difficult because I'm, I'm praying for it to be saved or well, this transplant to happen, but then I'm thinking about my donor. Then I'm thinking about the donor family. It was a horrible, it wasn't a balance for me in my head, you know, that somebody would die and, and then I would be saved. It didn't give me any comfort being in the hospital, thinking about all those uh, possibilities. Yes. And as a young woman, those thoughts must have been terribly confusing because as a transplant recipient myself, you know, and you and I have had this conversation many times that, you know, there are those two sides to the story. You are grateful for the gift that you receive, but your you your heart goes out because another life was lost. And so, so interesting that beyond all of that, after being in that devastating position, how long did you wait before you got your liver transplant? 
Well, I was told that I would die in 10 days if I had not received my uh, liver transplant. But it was around the 13th or 14th day when I knew that I was dying, um, that I felt I couldn't see, I couldn't smell. Like I couldn't recognize anybody that would come in the room and I definitely couldn't hear anything. So it was at that point where I just, I knew I was dying and it was um, nothing could be done. I would cry a lot in the hospital to the point where they would name me, uh, they named me uh, Crybaby. The nurses came up with this nickname. I was the Crybaby. So, but it was one nurse that told me to stop crying because, um, and just let God's will be done. And when I said the Lord's prayer with her, and the next day I had an organ available for me. And Monica, I can honestly say that was probably about 13 days. So they told me 10 days and I, I survived it. And the 13th day is when I had my transplant. They would call me a crybaby right now because I just can't imagine if, yes. if you had not received the gift that you needed at that time. And I am just so grateful that you did. Thank you so much, Monica. Thank you. I'm glad I'm here too. The way that I feel right now, and I know your story and you've shared it with me before, but that just really opened up my heart right there. And I remember um, because the three of us advocate together for organ yes. donation with Gift of Hope. I remember a day in Anjanette where we were together advocating and a woman who was waiting for a liver transplant walked up and it really yeah, opened up your heart and took you right back to the days days with your when your sister was dying. Um, that was the day we were at the the beam. Yes. The, the yes, doing it. Okay. Um, we were uh, advocating that day, and the lady walked up, and she had a picture of her person that she, well, how she looked before she received her um, liver. Or a transplant. Yeah, so she walked up and I didn't even really see her face. I just looked right at the picture and it just it just blew me back to walking into post-surgery with Angelique. And it was like I just felt like I, I was it was back at oh Monica, it's okay. I know. We are just so grateful, so grateful for the gift of life that was given to you, Angelique, and that you are here today and that every day you advocate for organ donation in your role at the mm -hmm. Secretary of State. Yeah. Tell us about that. I am a regional coordinator for the Secretary of State's office, the Life Goes On Organ and Tissue Donation Program. What I do is I cover the Chicago area south and also the south suburbs. And I advocate um, as a transplant recipient and also an employee with the Secretary of State's office to raise awareness and to help people register to the donor registry to become organ and tissue donors in the state of Illinois. So it's kind of um, twofold. It's my job, but it's also my passion. I wake up with that on my mind of like, how can I educate? How can I inform? Um, I often sometimes use social media, my own personal social media to use it as a platform to get the word out. 
Um, so I want as people as young as uh, junior high, if I could, to start having the conversations about organ and tissue donation. And also that's a part of my role going into the high schools and talking with the driver's ed students about organ and tissue donation and joining the registry when they get their driver's license. That's awesome. And so when you mentioned the teenagers, that reminds me that you have, since your transplant, you had the ability to have two handsome, amazing sons. Yes, and I do. Yes. They were born post-transplant. Uh, one's uh, 25. He's the oldest. He'll be 26 this year. Oh my God. And then the youngest one just turned 20. So um, right after my transplant, I started talking to the doctors about uh, having children and they gave me two years. They said, we need you to just uh, for two years to just let your uh, scar heal and get your medication regimen going. So right at the two year pop, I was pregnant. And I went to the doctor and get my blood work done. And they was like, well, we told you you could, but that didn't mean you should. <laughs> so they were a little bit upsetting. You know, even my family was kind of like, well, you just, you know, saved. We, your life was just saved. And now you go and risk by having this baby. So everybody was, especially my mom, she was pretty disappointed at first. But um, I was able to have uh, my first son with no complications none. They tweaked my medications a little bit. But other than that, um, everything was fine. I was considered high risk until me and my uh, OB doctor um, decided one day, like, why am I here once a week? Like, why do I need to be here? What's going on? And he's like, oh, yeah, you're high risk. The whole liver thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually became the, um, I was almost, almost the first by a couple of hours but I'm the second woman in Illinois to have a baby after a liver transplant. Oh, so, wow. That's I, a, I learned something new today. Yes, I am. And also I'm on the registry for women that have had babies after transplants. So I get a call like every seven years or so. They call me and ask me how the boys are doing. And I'll go, oh, they're fine. Who is this again? No. <laughs> so, Yeah. So I get a lot of calls from um, women that are seeking to have a baby after transplantation. So I'm open to talking to anyone at the hospital, will usually give my uh, name and number out or ask if I'm buying talking to people about what it was like being pregnant um, after transplantation. You are really giving back for the gift that you received over 27 years ago. I'm proud to know you and proud to be your friend. So how do you feel now? And what's it like every day being a, a liver recipient of over 27 years? Um, I feel good uh, every day. Most days are good. Uh, I take all the precautions with the COVID that's going on. Uh, I was a little nervous when that first happened. But for the most part, I know that I do try to take care of myself. I wear my mask. Um, I exercise. I'm trying to move towards a plant-based diet, but you know, it's slow moving. <laughs> so um, I feel good. I feel blessed. I feel very blessed. Um, my oldest son is actually uh, about to have a baby. So I'm going to be a grandma soon. And for me to work for an organization that 
the program is under Life Goes On. I just feel like that's like my uh, marker for the world. Life really goes on. It really goes on. Um, through the generosity of an organ donor family, I'm here today. I am here today. That's your personal motto. That's my personal motto, which actually happens to be my job, which I'm so grateful for uh, working with Secretary of State. He's such a great guy and the program is doing so well with him leading us because you do know the story, right? His brother passed away and the doctors approached him for organ and tissue donation. And he said, uh, no, because like most people not educated about it, didn't want no parts of it. So no, but come years later, a family member of his, which is his sister, needed a kidney transplant. So that moment, it kind of resonated with him about him saying no, and now he's on the other end of the need. And his sister actually received the kidney transplant and she lived for like 20 plus years after her transplant. So I think she just recently passed away. So he was able to see the miracles of organ and tissue donation and through his own family circle. And like most of us at the Secretary of State's office, we all have some connection to it that work in the um, organ donor program. We all have some connection to organ and tissue donation. So it just makes it uh, more cohesive around when we're all together because we all share in it. Uh, one of my coworkers is a very young guy that just had a liver transplant three years ago. So our conversations, when we talk, when we get in meetings or even over the phone, it's almost like we're holding hands. <laughs> so, yeah. and we all have a, a, you know, a passion for getting the word out and doing what we do. And it all starts with the Secretary of State. And Jeanette, how do you feel now? Are you extra protective of your sister? Um, I try not to be outwardly. I do think um, I'm protective as protective as I can get with her. I, I just try to always remind her like of certain things. So. Well, it always helps uh, to have a great support system and she's lucky to have you and you are always by her side when she's out advocating for, oh, definitely. for donation. And for me, it's, I appreciate um, the whole organization and you guys and um, the whole team of Gift of Hope because it's like, I always tell her, it's almost like free therapy. Like the day we were out there and the lady approached me, it was like in my face again, but it was like, you know, it, it helps. Every little helps. It's almost like therapeutic for me as well. When I'm sitting at the, um, the meetings and, you know, just going around, being around people. Yes, and she was, the, I think the happiest, she was more happy than I was when um, I got the job working for Secretary of State. Cause she was like, oh, you're finally in. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it's more like I said, it's therapeutic for me. So I, I appreciate the whole team. Like, you know, I just, I, like she's secretary of state and you're over there. She's here. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, we certainly have had a good time volunteering together um, with gift of hope and then Angelique going to work for the Secretary of State and me going to work for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. Things came full circle and we are able to 
um, work in our passion, which is really a gift. It's just amazing how your passion for organ donor awareness shaped your career and just allows you to continue to give back and to do so every day. Yes, every day. I wanted to ask God that I have children so I could leave something um, behind on this earth when it was my time to go. Um, Because I always tell people that when I was dying and I, I knew I was dying, I talked to God and I said, well, if it's my time, it's just my time. So, but when it wasn't my time and I figure I had some time and I'm, I just want to get, hit the ground running. I want to go back to school. I want to finish my master's, have this baby, get married. And I did all of that. And I still wanted to be a part of the whole process of awareness and making sure other people are blessed because when they talk to me about the list and how many people are waiting in Illinois and um, it's not likely that it may happen. And I'm thinking, no, this is, can't be it. So I understand the list and being on the list and how people that are on the list feel. So I, I want to be a part of, of the solution. I want to be that person that helps that person not be on the list, that gets the kidney, that gets the liver, that needs the help, that this is my give back. This is, this is my uh, legacy. Well, that's awesome. So last thing, Angelique, please just tell us where people can learn more about joining the organ donor registry and where they can register. Okay. So with the state of Illinois, the Secretary of State's office, you can go to our Facebook page and you can register there. You can also go to lifegoeson.com and pull up um, the registration to be a um, to join the Illinois uh, registry for organ and tissue donation, you can also click on if you're in in the, on the web, you can go to the cyberdriveillinois.com and there's a section there for organ and tissue donation where you can also register to be an organ and tissue donor. There, organ and also there's information about organ and tissue donation and maybe it can answer some of your questions. A lot of times when I'm out in the community, we get um, questions and have to talk about the different myths that are out there. So you can get a lot of information off of our websites about that. Thank you for sharing all that information. And I thank you, my friends, for having this really important conversation and for being so open and sharing your such an emotional time in your life with me. Thank you. Thank you for all that you both do to advocate for organ and tissue donation. Again, thanks for this conversation. You're welcome. Thank you, Monica, for having us. Yes, thank you for having us. October is National Liver Disease Awareness Month. As of this recording, there are 271 individuals in Illinois waiting for a life-saving liver transplant. In the two decades since Angelique received her miracle, Liver transplants have come a long way, and it's now possible for living donors to donate a portion of their liver. You can make a difference. For more information on liver transplants and liver donation, visit liverfoundation.org. Prevention of kidney disease is our mission at NKFI. One key to prevention is good nutrition. That's why at the end of each episode, you'll hear a nutrition fact. Here's our foundation dietitian, Dr. Melissa Prest. 
Here is today's nutrition tip about potassium. Potassium is the third most abundant mineral found in the human body. Potassium is an electrolyte and helps to maintain body fluid, send nerve signals, and regulate muscle contractions. Most of the potassium in your body is found in the cells of your muscle, liver, bones, and red blood cells. Potassium may help to reduce blood pressure, protect against strokes, prevent against osteoporosis, prevent kidney stones, and reduce water retention. People with kidney disease may have a high blood potassium level because the kidneys are not able to eliminate excess potassium out of the body. Certain health conditions and medications may also cause a higher blood potassium level. Potassium is commonly found in fruits, vegetables, grains, nuts, seeds, legumes, dairy, poultry, meat, fish, and seafood. If you are using a salt substitute, you are increasing the potassium content of your food because the salt substitute is made with potassium chloride. If you have been told to limit your potassium intake, be careful not to use a salt substitute and be sure to check the food label for food products that are listed as low sodium or lower in sodium. It is likely that food product has a higher potassium level because of the addition of a salt substitute in place of salt to enhance the flavor. With today's nutrition tip, I'm Melissa Press, a registered dietitian nutritionist and the foundation dietitian for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. The Journey Continues is brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois and is sponsored by Donate Life Illinois. To learn more about kidney disease and living donation, visit www.nkfi.org. To register to become an eye, tissue, and organ donor, visit lifegoeson.com. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe to and leave a review for The Journey Continues in Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen.